0: We apologize in advance for possible inconsistencies in the audio of this episode. We do record all of our episodes remotely, so you may notice, especially when we have guests who are joining us from their phone or laptop, that the audio isn't always optimal. Having said that, our editing team, that's me, has done everything possible to create a seamless listening experience for you. So hopefully this little disclaimer is completely unnecessary.
1: You know, on paper... I had it all to a T. I was told, you know, go get an education, get a job, work, have a relationship. You know, and on paper, I had it all, but yet I was so unhappy. Boy, let me tell you,
0: we are privileged to have Lena as our guest today. At just 26 years old, she is a testament to resilience and self-discovery and personal empowerment. After losing her mom at a young age and all the pain and the loneliness and anger that came along with that, Lena eventually accepted that only she could build the rich and purposeful life she longed for, nobody was going to do it for her. Instead of living life as a victim, she chose to consistently show up for herself and change her beliefs about what was possible for her life. Although old patterns of thinking and feeling were hard to break, as they are for all of us. She's here to tell us that with self-compassion and persistence, it really is possible to manifest a beautiful and fulfilling life. Let's dive in because she has many cool things to share
2: with us. Hey, it's Ron Thiessen. Welcome to another episode of the Human Being Project by The Change Evolutionist, where my daughter Janelle and I explore the difference between being and doing.
0: In a world of constant distractions, sky-high expectations, and the relentless pursuit of more, we examine what would happen if we made space for more being and less doing.
1: So after my BA, I did a graduate certificate in youth work at Concordia, and I did my internship at an organization called Camp Lift, and they're really um, all about you know, including mindfulness and healthy lifestyle habits within the EMSB um, school board. So, I am their program coordinator. I'm also a full time youth mentor in schools.
2: Um, so, are you are you happy in your in your career?
1: Oh my god, I I definitely am. It is. I feel it's an honor to be able to to have that balance of this is my purpose.
2: You know. Well, I sure remember that you were a very good student. So, uh, it's a it's a privilege <laughs> to talk to you now.
1: yeah thank you well i think um that was one of the main reasons why i reached out for the podcast was because when i had you for motivational interviewing it was the prompt of what is your personal mission statement and that has guided me to where i'm at now and i really like it's been something i've held on to ever since so that had been huge
2: yeah well i love to hear that you know that's the reason i'm I'm around so when i hear that feedback from people that's that's awesome
1: What is your personal mission statement, Lena? Yeah, so it is to be the person um, I needed growing up. And I think that ties in so beautifully with what you guys are discussing and what you're sharing with the world, right, is the difference between being and doing. And that, you know, to have a personal mission statement that started with like be the person I needed growing up, it was able to guide me in a sense where I wasn't looking for a specific profession. In my mind, I thought, okay, I want to be a social worker. And that was the end goal. But that allowed me to shift that and just really question how can I do that in my everyday life, not just necessarily like attach my, I don't know, my worth to a career. That was something I faced as a challenge for so long. I'm seeing the same challenge, but with youth that they're, you know, starting from secondary one, going into secondary five, but the challenge of really living in a doing mentality, right? And I think for me, I lived with that Challenge and that barrier for so long up until I'd say three years ago, where it induced a lot of anxiety and like depression and just you know on paper I had it all to a T. I was told you know go get an education, get a job, work, have a relationship, you know, and on paper I had it all, but yet I was so unhappy. I think waking up was the biggest struggle. There was no purpose, there was no reason, and I felt so at lost and. I remember feeling so anxious and just the way I comforted myself was being, well, everyone lives like that. Like it's the norm. So, and I think that's really something that a lot of people can relate to. I think I see it a lot, especially with these youth where they're faced with this huge question of what are you going to do after high school or your grades aren't up to par. And then you associate your worth to that. So, so many of these kids, they think, you know, there's no point in even trying to do my test. I'm not going to pass. So then they're like, not going to school. And it's the same thing that they, they lack that spark. So they're numbing, you know, they're using substances, they're distracting themselves.
2: So what, what approach do you use with the youth that you're working with when, when they're coming to you and they say, I don't, I I don't have any idea what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. So I think the approach is definitely one that is informal. And if I can say like, just humane and my most authentic self, i let go of that role, which I think um, a lot of we're molded to do, right, is role play. You put on your hat, you go to work, and that's who you are versus I really show up. And I I think my upbringing is a big superpower in its sense. I didn't have the easiest upbringing. I grew up, uh, my mom passed away when I was really young, when I was six years old. And I grew up with a father who had a substance abuse disorder. So, you know, I didn't have the fundamental needs weren't being met and neither were emotional or the mental support. And then you go to school and that's not taught either. It's back to academics and it's numbers and stuff like that. So I think with students, my approach is just being honest and kind of relating and naming those challenges. When you're trying to survive or you're just trying to get through a day, the last thing you're thinking about is trying to pass or get go to school. So mm-hmm. the approach is just to be honest and I think that allows them to feel less alone and then more receptive to hear what were the strategies or what were the practices that helped me obviously you created a safe space for yourself you had to do that
0: without maybe guidance or did you have people in your life that that are like you
1: no so and even to this day i'd say my family i have one my grandma that is very spiritual and very open-minded and also went through her own journey but that was only recently, that was maybe three years ago when I hit a plateau. Of, this is the worst I've ever been. I need to name that life just sucks right now. And I had to admit that to myself and I needed to ask for help. And I think, you know, I named it to her and she was, yeah, it makes sense. If you look at your upbringing, if you hold space for that kind of healing and, you know, things will start to click and you'll have more compassion and awareness. But I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, I- I think it was when I was, I'm 26 now. So it was really when I was 22, 23, where I was saying I had it all on paper. I was working two jobs, getting my education. I was in a relationship, but the relationship was extremely toxic and codependent. And I think that also helped me light that light bulb where it was like, no, I'm worthy of so much more. And I think that was the hardest mm-hmm. thing to do was to move out, find my own place. And I found a three and a half. And I think that's the safe space that you've mentioned that I was able to create for myself. It was the first time ever that it was like, it was okay to cry and it was okay to question who am I? Because, you know, with codependency, it's very chameleon syndrome. You're trying to people please, you're trying to be everyone and anywhere. And I think, yeah, that, that apartment was really the first time where I was like, no, like Mm -hmm. turn inward, what's happening. You don't have to pretend to be happy because that's a role too in and of itself. Right. We ask people, "How are you?" and it's like, "Oh, I'm good." And
2: then you have I mean, to like, yes, you have to play that role too. So you've really, you've really overcome some significant obstacles, and obviously, that's informing the work you're doing with youth. Uh, do you find that 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 just talking about your story and being authentic, as you've suggested? Uh, does that inspire them or is it sometimes you sometimes have to break through, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking to them, maybe they don't believe you, what do you do to break down the barriers there?
1: So, well, I think with youth and I, that was something I had to learn through the process of working with you is they're never going to show on the first day that you, you've got to them or that, you know, that you mm. broke that wall, especially I work in a lot of the alternative schools. So mm. Something to get through those barriers is just continuously showing up. There's some days that students don't talk at all in a workshop. And I used to take that very personally, like, oh, there's something I'm not doing right. Or, you know, I need to find a way to get to them. But in reality, it was just continuously showing up every Tuesday, every week of that school year. And eventually, you know, just being there, I think just listening. And that comes back down to that personal mission statement of just be the person you needed growing up. I just needed a, an adult that listened, that genuinely cared and was present, you know? So sometimes having those conversations with these kids, I, I have to admit, sometimes I had that, that agenda of I want them to open up and I want them to listen to the advice that I have to give. And most of the time when I had that goal, it, I never achieved it. It was only when I let go of expectation, like I'm just going to be here for this kid and whatever comes up, comes up and not even to make it about myself. You know, like if they share something, like we all have that innate desire to be like, "Yo, me too." Like I, I feel that. <laughs> yes. You know, so I had to. Pl- me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Let me tell you about my story, and it's with, <laughs> it's always with great intention. It's out of love, but yeah. I I eventually learned. I I was about to do it with a student, and they cut me off right away. And I almost like for a second, I was like, <gasps> "How could like I had something so important?" And then. I just kind of let that go and then at the end of our conversation I, I took note to myself that you just have to be present. That's the only that's the only purpose in that role, right? And to have to emanate love and kindness and just non judgmental, that is the purest intention. And I think that's when I had the most successful um, you know, we call them interventions, but those are the most successful moments that I have where I come back home and it's like I can see I feel it in my body it's not something that I conceptualize you know so I think the barriers get broken with just consistency and letting go of that role I'm not and I say that at the very beginning I'm not your parent I'm not a teacher you're a human I'm a human we merit the same amount of respect and it's just person to person so I think a lot of that um helps and I think helping it I had said this years ago, I would, it wouldn't have come from a place of being or of truth. It would have been another role that I'm trying to play versus now it's like my truth, you know? So I think that they can feel that. And I think that that
2: definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Authenticity is so important in in all human interactions, but especially when when you're dealing with kids who have... you know, If you're in the alternative schools, you're dealing with with kids who have uh, been bruised and hurt by the system in many situations, and they really can't trust adults as as far as they know. uh, They've had a lot of disappointment. What would you tell them would be the steps that they should take to get control of their life or their situation and And expose themselves to something better.
0: Or even people that were once Lenas, you know, they they had that they could be 40 or 50 now and they still haven't really dealt with that. Maybe they feel they need somebody to acknowledge the space that they're in or the pain that they suffered. But what you're telling us, and and what I think is so cool is that you can do that for yourself. You did it for yourself, Lena, right? Mm -hmm. And so people, even if they're further down on their journey, maybe they're not 26 anymore, maybe they're 46 or they're 56, and they still haven't really um, come to terms with the fact that they didn't get what they needed, and maybe they're still not getting what they need. We have the self-empowerment to take care of that, to first recognize, oh, there's a, there's something missing here for me, right? When that transition happened for you, where you said you talked to your grandma, you were 22 or yeah. or 23 years old, I know you said you had a relationship that was kind of um not working out for you but was there like a just a significant breaking point or a certain thing that happened where you were like
1: i am the only person who's gonna do this for me yeah so i think it was um for sure the first half a year of living in that three and a half by myself up until then i always lived with um roommates or and then i quickly moved in with that partner at the time and so I think that was just really being alone, like there was no one I could turn to. And I think, yeah, so it, it was being definitely alone. But I think in terms of steps or the first thing I I always say, it, awareness is the first step. You have to acknowledge where you're at. You have to meet yourself where you're at. And I had never done that up until then. It was always a facade or I was just stuck in that doing, going from one place to another. If you stay busy, if you you know, numb yourself and all of that, you will be confronted with it. But at that moment in my life, I couldn't go anywhere but turn inwards, you know, so it was acknowledging and naming it like, yeah, my life is a complete mess right now. And just leaving it at that, there wasn't a need to fix it there or holding space for that. But just admitting it to myself, I think was right. So I could see, okay, no, this is what it is right now. And then the next step was, you know, for me was getting to know myself. I didn't know who I was. was Ask who I was. I could give you my name. I could give you my education, (laughs) my career. I could, you know, but who made, what made me, me? I had no, I, I couldn't tell you what I liked, what I disliked, what, you know, my values were, what put a smile on my face. Sounds cheesy, but that's often what I tell the people that I, you know, the youth that I work with, or even, you know, people in my circle, it's make a list of the things that make you smile from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And, you know, I I would journal a lot. That was a big thing for me was journaling with prompts of what are my values or, you know, and having to Google, what is a value? What does that even? Oh, wow. Mean? Yeah. I had no idea, you know, and I was, oh, okay. So getting a, you know, a sense of that and it's okay. Coming out of a really toxic, codependent relationship it was also starting from that well what is love what is a healthy relationship what is a relationship out of a romantic relationship you know Mm -hmm. what are things that i want and need from another person and you know for by making that list i realized not even doing half of these things for myself how can i expect someone else to meet me or provide that so it was okay Mm -hmm. how can i do that for myself so Mixing, you know, the things that make me smile on a daily, and then things that I want and desire. It was okay. Take, you know, take charge. Do it for me. And, you know, I was also a big, I, I'm a big advocate on um, affirmations. And, you know, I'm you. It was discussed in one of the workshops that you had where it was like, you know, a lot of people don't stick with affirmations because it doesn't, you know, you do it, it doesn't change anything. You don't really believe it. Um, but anyone who's practicing it, I would say, like, stick with it. I met mean, it took a while. It took, you know, a year of having it written on my mirror and having post-its and, you know, practicing saying them out loud. Um, I was, yeah, I was my biggest self-critic. I had nothing but complaints and negativity mm-hmm. going on in my head, you know? So mm-hmm. the affirmations, if you're creating those new neural connections, it takes time. It's going to the jib and you can't go once and get a six-pack. So it was-Wait, <laughs> you can't? Yeah. <laughs> it was just it was that um that was definitely the beginning and then boundaries oh my god boundaries was a whole other chapter of that journey of what is a boundary how do you you know practice saying them and then putting them into effect slowly and surely with those that you feel safe um yeah and then eventually Mm -hmm. you know mindfulness practices come in right it's the the meditation even if it's for two minutes it eventually builds up and then it's you know i i learned to move my body in a way that felt good rather than trying to attain a certain look or trying to be another certain person so that kind of stuff and breathing and journaling i'd say yeah that was a
2: big one for me wow you're just talking about so many uh, nuggets here where you started out with the affirmations and how hearing yourself say those things starts changing your mind Right? Because it's it's the mind that gets in the way every time when we have a dream or, or something that we say we want to do. It's the mind that tells us it, you can't, you're not you weren't born mm-hmm. in the right place, et cetera, et cetera. and and to to be able to change that. and then from there, you can live much more in a much more powerfully authentic way and mm-hmm. and, and even understand, you know, what your what your mission is or what you're called to or or uh, where you think you can be most effective. Most of the time, if you if you see yourself as uh, the kind of person that you saw yourself as before you started changing those things, you just say, "Well, there's nothing that I can do to change any of this." And uh, and and hearing your your testimonial of how you did that, the affirmations, and bringing those dreams out of your heart and putting them in your mind until you really thought the way you dreamed, well, that, that just opens the doorway to amazing things. I empathize with anyone
1: I hear it so often that you know it's it doesn't work. I don't feel it. It's not true. So how do I do it? And it's it, it, it's it's true. In the beginning, you don't believe but It is extremely hard. But then it's you know I'm three years into it, and I still get those you know criticisms. I still get those judgments, or those you're not worthy, or you know don't bother. Yeah. But it's so much quicker. I can I realize that yeah. you know I'm not the thought. I'm not the emotion. I'm the one observing it. Right. So why? let it go off and tell me that I'm not a good person or not worthy when I can switch it and no, I am worthy. And you believe it because you're like, yeah, what I'm not my thought. Create yeah. something that's supported. I had a girlfriend
0: suggest to me once um, to record my voice uh, saying the affirmations to me and then playing it to myself when I went to bed. So I was trying that for a little while. And that, that's a nice way to do it. If you're just, if you feel weird about affirmations at the beginning um but also saying them out loud is so much more powerful than just reading them like on a like if you read it in your head on a post-it but saying it out loud so that you're absorbing it two different ways inside and outside and yeah i love affirmations i i love that
1: you're a testimony to how effective they are i mean even flip it say out loud all the negative things that are buying on in your mind and for me when i like i was prompted to do that it was Almost shameful. Like I didn't want to say those negative things out loud. I would never say that to someone that I love. So, you know, looking at myself in the mirror and going to say the things that are on my mind, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, wow. so why why let it be in my my head, you know, which is the worst place to have it. I mean, you're you're with yourself all the time. So
2: yeah. It, it's interesting because when when you talk about affirmations and you talk about uh speaking about things that are not until they are we do that in the negative all the time yeah and and people they just they just accept that this is part of living you know oh well for sure you know uh when i go on vacation then for sure the airlines are going to be shut down or i'm going to be in a a big trouble or and 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 we do it without even thinking about that that nobody's looking at you like you're weird you Mm -hmm. know but if you say if you make affirmations about things that you do not, you're not experiencing right now, but you're saying, this is coming for me. And people look at you, you have three heads, you know, because you're, you're talking about something positive. If you're talking about the negative, well, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, we get you, we understand. But you start talking positive and making those affirmations and people go, I don't get it. Well, you're doing it in the negative all the time. You just switch it, just like you said, you know, that, that is a very powerful concept to think about looking in the mirror. And saying the things to you to a person that you love that you say to yourself when you are downgrading yourself. That's that's a very powerful uh, way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. I mean, for sure you're for sure. I was that type of person too. Today's gonna be a sucky day. I'm gonna be late for work. I'm gonna, you know, it was negative, negative. And the world was just proving it. The ego, the mind just, you know, accepts it, like, oh, well, there you go. I was right. But you are you literally attract what you put out. So yeah. It's it is super powerful. My family, like they're not into it as much as me, I guess. So it comes off as, you know, this woohoo almost stuff that it sounds like, <laughs> but it but it's not. If I wake up and I tell myself I'm gonna have a good day, well, I'm gonna step outside and take a big inhale. And right there, every little moment it's gonna be good. You're just it's the same thing. You could look for good, you can look for bad, and you're gonna find ways to validate either or so, so why That's choose right. the bad? you know but and that's right there's a comfort wow. in that. i think for so long i was comfortable being miserable i think i i i loved that story even though it was you know harming me in the sense for keeping me back it was it was comfortable to live in that mm-hmm. in that negativity and to believe that it was more comfortable than doing you know something new so i definitely mm-hmm. you know i understand why people fall into that pattern but it's that's why they say, you know, sub like suffering tends to be the catalyst to having that awareness or that breakthrough. I mean, you hit a point where you're like, this is just no more.
0: And sometimes there's a fear of being hopeful. Like mm-hmm. if I if I say something positive or if I dare to dream, or if I dare to say that something's gonna be great about my day, then of course I'm just gonna get hit in the face with something awful. So it's almost like <laughs> people try to try to insulate themselves from negative experiences by anticipating them. I think we've talked about this before, dad, in a separate conversation. And so Mm -hmm. then they, by doing that, actually create those negative experiences. So I love what you said, Lena, because it's so true. You basically choose, you're going to get whatever it is that you decide you're going to get. So why not choose something positive? What on earth do you have to lose?
2: it reminds me of the example you know lena how in in class i would uh, i would let students talk at the beginning of a class what's happening you know what's going on in their lives etc and i had one student that said you know i had two really good things happen to me this week so now i'm just waiting for the bad thing you can imagine how my antenna went up. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What did you just say? And you know, it's it's interesting because lots of people feel like that. Like it, you know, things come in threes or things come in twos or whatever. And and so you can imagine that for that person, if that's what she really believes, it, there could be lots more good things coming this week. But she would totally miss them because she's looking yep. for the bad thing, right? Yep. And and yes. do that often in our lives. And lots of people will tell me, you know, if they if they are kind of negative thinking like that, they'll say, well, at least I'm prepared. I'm prepared for disappointment. It's very interesting to see how people that are, that believe and function like you are talking about see much more positive things happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. And now they even have the comparison. Like you had the comparison. Look at the way I used to live. Look at the way I'm living now. There's a, there's a complete difference, and it and it's because of the things that you're putting in your mouth and that you're saying and where you're expectation is, and your whole attitude about living too. Michael Singer talks a lot about, you know, even just neutrality.
1: So yes, negative and positive and stuff, but just being in a state of receptiveness, you know, we're so quick to label things as good or bad. We look outside, it's a rainy day, everyone's like, oh, I can't wait for nicer weather, you know, but at the end of the day, weather is just weather. And, you know, creating your own inner resistance to it, wishing that something was different than the way you're living it, you're only going to make it into something that's not enjoyable. You know, even though I, I I do feel like my days are filled with positivity and I feel like I, I live from that beingness, I feel it. I feel good and joyous, but, but does I don't want to make it seem like things don't happen that I'm like, oh man, I really wish this hadn't happened or that I have a bad day even there, right there naming it a bad day it's just the day but I think it's how those practices from the beginning and sticking to it that now three going on to four years later anything can happen and I don't have that victim mentality where in the beginning I did it was like you know I could get a flat tire in the narrative of course it's me who gets the flat tire I can't do <laughs> that you know just my life and it just snowballs from there versus now it's with those practices and the commitment to it, it's like if I bought a flat tire now, it'd be like, oh, okay, flat tire. What's the next step? we got to change it. Maybe this saved me from something. It's not. Yes. It's just something that happened, you know, so mm-hmm. that allows for more ease. And for sure, there's times where I catch myself. I think that's the cue that really stuck from listening to Michael Singer speak about it. Whenever I catch myself complaining or wishing that it was different, like, oh, I don't want to go to work today. Well, right there, I'm creating resistance. I'm creating, Mm -hmm. you know, in quotations, a negative experience for myself. If I just go with it, just go, just show up and do it and have no preference. It turns out the day goes by like honey. It's so smooth. It's easy. It's flowy. And you just feel so much lighter at the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Michael Singer's
0: book, The Untethered Soul, is one of my all-time favorite books, and let me tell you why. It talks about the value of acceptance and surrender, which I notice some people that's a bad word because it sounds like you're giving up. But he has a way of explaining surrender that makes total sense and doesn't sound like quitting. By applying what you discover in his book, like maybe with Ron's little experiments, You're gonna experience, like I did, the absolute freedom that comes from letting go of expectations, yours and other people's, and embracing whatever's happening right now. Like whatever is happening right now, embracing it. I used to need total control to feel safe. This book changed that for me. Singer will teach you how to observe your thoughts and emotions without judgment, and how to release the limitations that you impose on yourself. He uses really clear and relatable examples to illustrate how you can break free from your inner dialogue and live with a greater sense of peace, presence, and joy. I was absolutely lit up about this book a few years ago and I recommended it to my dad who also loved it. What I like about this book is that he's not selling or knocking any belief system. He's simply asking you to question the voice in your head. You'll see what I mean when you read it. And if you've already read it, share your opinion about the book in the Change Evolutionist community chat. As always, the link is in the show notes.
1: So I'm assuming you've read Michael Singer. Have you read his book or you yes. listened to his podcast or both? Yeah, so I've read the book. I've listened to his podcast. I'm a huge Eckhart um. fan. Totally Eckhart Tolle fan, yeah, I Yeah. Yeah. So I think like I listen to Michael Singer and it's just he has a humor around it, too, where he's like, you should, you know, wake up in the morning and always giggle to yourself that you have another day at this experience. And it's it's so true. You know, we take. Yeah, that's where the roles, you know, coming back to the original thing, you go out into the world for the role. You know, I want to do this and this is my job. And if you just continually shift from these roles, it's like you're taking yourself in life so seriously when it's, you know, just have fun with it. Just observe or just, you know, watch a kid live their life. I think they're the greatest inspiration. You know, I did a yoga class for um, elementary age students and they had so much fun with it. And they were just so spontaneous and in the moment and loving and kind. And where do we lose that? You know, that's in us. I think kids are some of our greatest teachers
0: because they haven't lost. They haven't become jaded yet for the most part. I mean, you know, some kids are living different experiences, but when they're young, they don't have all the assumptions that things will go wrong or things will be bad. They're just it's play. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of our adult flaws is that we forgot how to play. I was just visiting with my nieces and nephews in Winnipeg and we were in the pool. And, I, you know, at first I told them, oh, don't splash my hair because I have bleach blonde hair. It's going to go green. And I believe that because it happened once when I was whatever, like twelve, um, and so they didn't want to splash my hair. But the moment it accidentally got splashed, they're like, "Hey, Auntie J, your hair is gonna turn green." And I'm like, "Oh, you know what? At this point, if it turns green, it'll be a memory. Let's just have <laughs> at her." And we just had so much fun. And I noticed instantly the connection with them is solidified because I am remembering. I'm I'm tapping into the core of me which is to play it's not so serious everything doesn't have to be so serious you know even my blonde hair it can be green life will go on
2: (laughs) (laughs) i can attest to the fact that she was playing her heart out. i I was there i saw her playing her heart out
0: (laughs) i think we were disruptive to the neighbors we were so loud but hey i mean we were in the moment So when you were, it sounds like you were still in school when you sort of had this moment. Mm -hmm. Were you still in school when you were like, I need this, that's it, I've hit hit a wall here, I need to reset, I
1: need to do something for me? Yeah, so that was, at that period of my life I had, um, I was, you know, dedicated to becoming a social worker. That was the end goal. I thought that that was what I wanted to do with my life. So I applied to um, Carleton University in Ottawa and I didn't have a backup plan that was my plan and I got a letter and I wasn't accepted so at that time that was another thing and at the moment I was like well what am I going to do you know and I'm so grateful for that because it it allowed me to really take a step back and be like, okay well now what you know so mm-hmm. that rejection from carlton i i looked into you know last minute programs and i found cordia had a youth work program so and this was right at the beginning of covid as well so Mm -hmm. i applied i didn't even you know think i was gonna get in or had much hope to get in even at that i was like whatever and i applied and i got accepted and i around that same time found this three and a half that was equally three times the rent that I was paying. I didn't have savings. I didn't know what I was doing. But I just remember having this feeling. Like I was on the bus when she emailed me, are you gonna sign the lease or not? Cause I'm gonna rent it to someone else. And something in me was just like, do it. You have to do it. Anything is wow. better than what you're living now. I didn't have anything to feel confident in that decision, you know? So I just that was, I think, one of the first times that I just trusted. I just trusted I didn't know of god or spirituality, anything there was just like just trust and i did it and that was just the best decision i've ever made and i did my youth work program from home it was everything was from home then i was working from home i was going to school full-time at home so i was really alone during that year but it turned out to be one of the best years i think that was my best academic year i almost got like a 4.0 gpa like i love doing i really Yeah, and that was what I was saying at the beginning was then I did an internship with Camp Lift and Camp Lift had never had an intern before. They were very new and their key words were just, you know, movement and mindfulness and healthy lifestyle habits and something once again. And me was like, that's it. Like, that's what I want to do. And I had, you know, my interview and everything and I got onto the field and something clicked where it was like I had attributed my... Like, goal to being a social worker because I thought that that's what I needed when I was younger. I thought that that was how I'm going to help youth and stuff. And then through this role, I realized I don't need a master's in social work to be doing the work that I want to be doing or to Mm. feel, you know, passionate or fulfilled at the end of the day. And fast forward two years later, I'm their program coordinator. I'm working full time. And I can honestly say I don't have this desire to reach anything else, you know, even there was a moment where it was like monetary questions of I could go somewhere else and get more money, but then mm-hmm. it just didn't feel right. Why would I go somewhere else for more money when I feel I'm good at what I do? I feel valued. I'm helping others and I'm getting paid for it. So yeah, I think I'm very- It was totally aligned. It just goes- yeah. yeah. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I let everything go and I just went with what felt right. And I think was perfect finding because of those practices that I was doing of who am I? What do I like? What makes me feel, you know, joyous? And what sparks that light within me? And going after that, rather than looking for, you know, credentials or a paycheck or whatever, everything has just fallen seamlessly.
2: That's amazing.
0: You know what? It, it, what you're saying even applies to me. It applies to so many people because there is always that question. When you are doing something risky, when you're listening to your gut, there's always that but you know that this doesn't make sense and you know there's mm-hmm. there'll be people that'll be like that doesn't make sense you you're going to rent a place that's three times what you've rented you don't have the money right now you don't have a plan so that doesn't make sense and sometimes things are not supposed to make sense and the magic lies in those decisions like you said when you trust when you sort mm-hmm. of have not just trust like you say I, you know, I don't really want to put in the effort so, and I really want to live here. So I know it's out of my budget, but I'm just going to go out and do it. Like, not that, but like when you know that you're being called somewhere and you can feel that, dad, you talk about that intuition Mm. and those gut feelings, right? You feel that. And if you listen to it and trust it, that grows stronger over time and you become more confident when you make those decisions. So I love that you took that huge decision and look what it has brought for you. Mm. Incredible. I do have a question. I have to know this before you say it again. What in the heck is a three and a half? <laughs> yeah, like I want one. Whatever it
1: is, it sounds great. <laughs> <free, laughs> let me have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the the secret to everything is a three and a half. Uh, well it's just it's just the apartment. It's like a three three room and bathroom apartment. I guess
2: it's oh. one two like, yeah. It's a oh, one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, one-bedroom bed- apartment. Yeah, you have with a kitchen. with a separate bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> that's the half. Right? That's the half. <laughs> <house>. Yeah, <laughs> it is small enough that, like, if you were there during the pandemic, man, you had a very small environment in which to be operating. You've had to come face to face with yourself every day, every everywhere you turn, you're looking at yourself, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, it was, uh, it was my gym, my work, my home, my chilling space.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm so encouraged to hear how you, how you navigated this, and, and you know that you learned from some of these great uh, people who have given us so much fantastic information, uh, like Michael Singer and and uh, and Eckhart Tolle, that you know really brought us to awareness of, uh, of, of ourselves as opposed to. All of this facade that we create, that the the ego creates, right? I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what people think of me, uh, and and th- this these are some of the beliefs of ego. And that big one that I am separate from everything that I want and need. You know, that's a huge one. And so many people live their lives like that. It, you know, that I, I'm always wanting or needing something that I don't perceive that I have. And as soon as I get it, I'm on to wanting something else and and not taking the, the time to look at it and say, this came into my life. This represents abundance. It's what I wanted. It's what I asked for and it, it represents abundance. If this is the only thing that I have, I'm going to be grateful for this because this represents abundance. Mm-hmm. And, and when you have that attitude, that mindset, well, then you, you're not attached to things and you're not attached to outcomes. But everything just flows in a way, like you said, it just it just opened up the, the door for, for you to be exactly where you're feeling most fulfilled and, and engaged, and you didn't even know how you got there at the time you were making those steps.
0: Do you think it's that things actually flow more for you if you're in the right mindset or if, you, if you're thinking about things as not attached to you? Or do you think it's just that you become more aware that things were already flowing?
1: I I do think you create your own reality. So I feel like choosing the path of least resistance is the one that is definitely going to open doors or make things flow and be more seamless. I think, but at the same time, like was life already flowing for sure? I mean, it's so much greater than me. I wasn't, you know, stopping it from flowing, but I think I wasn't in a place to be aware or receptive, you know? So it's those moments that I did have a gut feeling. Well, I chose otherwise. I chose to, you know, please this other person because I felt like I needed them to like me, you know, and a huge one of codependency in, the, in that relationship was I was living for that other person. I wasn't living for myself, you know, so in a way I was self-sabotaging anything that I did feel like, no, this is what I want to do. I would do what he wanted or what would, you know, make me feel like, okay, I'm I'm a great partner. I'm a great girlfriend. But then it was like, I'd be doing that choice. And I'd feel even more anxious. I'd feel it even more in my body. Oh mm-hmm. my or something didn't work out. And it's like, well, yeah, I should have listened to my gut. I should have done the other thing, you know? So I think maybe a mix of both. I think yeah. this whole life is just always gonna flow. It's I mean, I do believe that, you know, I look at nature and everything just has a universal intelligence to it. It's just gonna happen as it happens. And I think that's all part of our journey is how can we do it with the mind that is trying to do otherwise? I think
0: for me, when I, I think about the times where I felt that I that I didn't have a good life mm-hmm. and I thought I wasn't as fortunate as others, even like as fortunate as members of my family even or whatever. Uh, but if I look back on it now, because I have a different perspective, I realize that there was always a flow. There were always people there that were there to support me but I wasn't open. I wasn't receptive to them. And there was always opportunities. But like you said, I didn't go with my gut then and take them. I didn't take risks because I was too busy worrying about my own insecurities or my own not enoughness. Right. So I just I was just posing that question to suggest that, like, I know for me, I do believe uh, and I understand I have a different life than some have lived. But I do believe for me that there was always things that were flowing towards me that I was actually rejecting, not intentionally, but I was rejecting because I didn't, they were unfamiliar to me. I was only thinking about negative things or about how I didn't deserve or how this stuff doesn't happen for me or whatever. And so I was missing it. It was a stream flowing either just beside me or right above me. And I just wasn't in it.
1: Now that I even think about it too, I think while I was living from the victim mind for so long, I looked at my upbringing as a if- like as a victim, right? It's like, you know, I remember one time I even said it out loud, like, why did my mom have to pass away? And I had so much hate and resentment towards my dad, even just everything. It was like, made me bitter. But now from where I from where I'm at now, I, I wouldn't change it. I think like I've grown to be grateful for it and see it as now, you know, I'm working towards having that relationship with my dad and healing from that. And it's, for so long I kept it and I think a lot of people do that anything that is negative or too much or it's hurt lock it away Lock it away don't look at it you know right you know yes. it's not real if you don't look at it but your body carries that and it really is going to just follow you throughout so it's like can you feel it and let it go and be in that state of receptiveness so things can come back into alignment so yeah yeah for sure
0: Lena, I think you're a remarkable human being because honestly, <laughs> for you to be 26 years old and talking to us on this podcast about things that I need that I will take away and implement in my own life. I think mm. it's I don't uh, your past trauma and what you have gone through and the pain you've gone through with loss and with the grief of of adults that didn't that weren't there for you that didn't look out for you, somehow it has molded you through fire to be a person of high impact at a young age. And I personally, I mean, my heart breaks for you that you didn't have what you needed when you needed it. But your gift to humanity is massive as a result. And I am so impressed by you and so grateful that you joined us as a guest today. I'm getting a little teary because I i it just, i I'm so inspired by you. And and others will be, too. And others are already every moment that you breathe and walk through your life. People are inspired by you. So good for you.
1: Wow. no, they get me emotional.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But those those youth that you're working with and uh, all everybody else in your life are fortunate and blessed to have you. And and the things that you can talk about, you're talking about things that that took me years and years and years to learn. I didn't learn them till I was in my yeah. 50s for sure. Uh, and and even then, I'm still learning these kinds of things. So you're you have such a a head start, even though you may feel like your beginning was was not the most auspicious. But you have such a head start on on some of these things. And your I agree with Janelle. Your impact is going to be it, it, it is now, but it's going to continue to be massive and building and all of those people that you reach and touch, uh, with, with the message and the way that you live your life. It's, it's phenomenal. Wow. It's very powerful. Thank You
0: both. You are so aligned. Keep, keep being Lena. You're yeah. rocking it. Oh, I really bet. <laughs> I really feel, um,
1: yeah, I really feel seen and heard. So I think, thank you to both of you as well. You, you are equally, you know, the, I felt so drawn to what you guys are putting out into the world and just you're equally just being your most authentic self, you know, and I think it's Mm -hmm. so powerful. And I am honored to share this space with you guys. And yeah, thank you so much. Your words really
2: touched me. It's really nice. Well, we were honored to have you here on this podcast. Thank you for sharing that with us, sharing your time, your energy and your insight and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Lena. Enjoy the rest of your day, your week, your life. Yes. (laughs) What did you think of this episode? Head over to the private Change Evolutionist community chat to join the conversation. Find the link in the show notes. We're excited to announce that you can find the Human Being Project on Wisdom, a social media app that promotes authentic connections and meaningful conversations with real people. This is great news for you because it gives you an opportunity. To ask a question anonymously, and get a voice reply from one of us. Just go to wisdom.app/forward/slash/human-being-project/forward/slash/ask. Type your question, and click send. Never miss an episode. Get notification to your inbox when a new episode is released. Download to your device, or listen wherever you get your podcast. To get notifications, go to thechangeevolutionist.com forward slash subscribe. Ron Thiessen is a practicing psychologist and educator. To apply as a guest on the podcast, please visit thechangeevolutionist.com forward slash podcast guest.